This week on Trek Mary Kill Data Lore Data Lore Next Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation Can this be another me? The discovery of Data's perfect android double How much can you trust Data now? Leads to a deadly game of who's who He's been hurt This is very serious Now Data's evil twin plots to destroy the crew Back off Go! With the help of a lethal life force on Star Trek The Next Generation. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, the Star Trek podcast that has no desire of meeting its evil twin. Because this week we're talking about the Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Where we meet Data's evil twin named Lore. The episode is called Data Lore, D-A-T-A-L-O-R-E, written by Robert Lewin and A-N-D, so they didn't write it together. Gene Roddenberry, from a story by Robert Lewin and Maurice Hurley, and then directed by Rob Bowman, the great Star Trek director Rob Bowman. Quick synopsis, the Enterprise has some time on their schedule, so they stop over at the planet where Data was discovered. <laughs> and go like a little bit farther than the people that found data did when they found him. Cause literally like right around the corner, there's like a entrance into this underground lab where all the colonists of this planet had been hiding um, from something. We don't know what, and we'll later find out it's this thing called the crystalline entity, which devours organic life goes planet to planet. And in this lab, however, data discovers uh, that there's another version of him, a copy, a brother uh, named Lore. And we find out Lore was actually made first and he was made so perfectly by Dr. Uh, Noonien Singh. Um, that Soong, is- I think. Soong. Dr. Sung, that's what it is. And so he's ostracized by the community and disassembled. And then Data's made and Data's much more agreeable to human beings. But once Lore is reassembled and activated, he quickly sees the Enterprise as a prime takeover target, partners up with the Crystalline Entity, and it's up to Data and Wesley Crusher (laughs) to stop him from killing everybody on board. Like I said, it was the 80s, and evil twins were all the rage. Kristen, famous evil twins in 80s TV, off the top of your head? Oh, well, I think all mine would probably be like... Um, Perfect. Um, soap, soap operas? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now I can't... Now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, had I... You asked me that earlier, I would have I would have come prepared with many. <laughs> off the top of my head, I always have this ready. Knight Rider did one. David Hasselhoff. Okay. Michael Knight had an evil twin named Garth Knight. And it's the same principle every time. You can get the actor to play the evil version of themselves. And in the Knight Rider version, they even go so far as to give Garth a goatee. So it's a reference to Spock from Mirror Mirror, his alter ego, the evil Spock there. It's a trope. It's a thing that would happen. I think a lot of TV movies would have it. Lifetime movies would certainly have it. I, I think I've definitely seen them. And it's you come down to like, which one do I shoot? The good one or the bad one? And then you think they've killed mm-hmm. the bad one. And nope, they didn't. Um, do you have any memories of the first time you watched this episode? I don't think so. I mean, I know I have seen it before, but I don't have anything. I don't I don't remember my first impression. So I definitely haven't seen this episode in at least 10 years, but maybe more like 15. And this was one of the episodes where because I joined in in season four and then uh, my grandpa would tape 
when it was on during the day. So I, he'd like at the end of the week, give me a tape with five episodes. And I remember this was one of the early ones and it was, you know, it's from season one. Um, and it's just a bizarre, <laughs> it's like, a, it's nothing like the show in season four. That's so it's just like this weird, what's going yeah, on it's here? It's like pretty early on in the series run to be doing the doppelganger, right? Yes, yes. Uh, very, very hackneyed idea. Did they do it in an interesting way? Maybe, but uh, it was interesting. We get a lot of Data's backstory. Um, I guess what I'm saying, it's interesting because... However, they... I will say, nothing, like, and if you've ever met identical twins, which I know you have, <laughs> they don't actually, they are actually identical. And this is the only instance where they really would be because they're androids. It's like the only one that really, like if you, if having an Android, an advanced Android is believable enough to you, like if you bought in on that, the rest of it is easily believable. So this is the 13th episode of season one, which uh, up until recently would have been the end of the initial order. Right. So (laughs) what a weird way to Mm. sort of, of end the order there, but it establishes a few Things for the next generation uh, that goes on. We've got um, Dr. Song, uh, that who created Data, perfected the positronic brain for androids, but so unique in the galaxy, just Data and Lore essentially have a positronic brain. And later on, we'll find out um, someone else does, Data's mother. Later on, there's like an android version of her. Um, and Dr. Sung is still alive despite the uh, attack by the Crystalline Entity. The Crystalline Entity will come back. Uh, Lore will pop up again. Lore's set yeah. to pop up in Star Trek Picard Season 3, which is why we're doing yeah. the Lore episode. So you know what? That is a very long run. <laughs> like yeah. planting a character and then, what, 35 years later? Yeah. Very uh, soapy. out again, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so we have... I, I mean, we don't actually quite know what the deal is with lore. Um, you know, Moriarty's coming back by all reads. It's one episode and who even knows to what extent he's going to be used. I'm just speculating Moriarty was granted consciousness by the enterprise computer to defeat data. And now you've got someone with, as you just said, an exact replica of data's brain that maybe <laughs> they really are desperate enough to, rely on this hologram to to like get around lore or whatever he's doing we're not going to look at uh the final episode in the next generation with lore because that one i kind of want to kill preemptively but (laughs) we won't look at it now it's descent part two it's not great but uh this one let's talk about this one data lore um specific fact that i need to get out here this is gene ronberry's last screen credit yeah (laughs) <laughs> wild yeah wild but also going through um re-watching the episode many years later now having seen so much more star trek in that time period yeah a lot can tell very much gene runberry's fingerprints are all over the writing there mm-hmm. the, <laughs> what struck you about this episode well that everyone is just immediately like ah, oh, it's another data well this can't <laughs> possibly end badly he's got to be great by the way, that all the colonists are dead. We don't know why, but this guy, he probably had nothing to do with it. Let's just bring him on board and give him access to everything. So they're playing right. I fully There's trust like, him. Exactly. There's like a lot of 
stuff that today we would take for granted of data would certainly have a computer memory of what happened. He said he has, instead he's talking much more humanistically. He's like, I have vague recollections of uh, like impressions of things that happened. Uh, Seems like your memory record would just know it. They didn't, they, when the enterprise away teams down, just exploring the colony briefly, they don't access the computer core and download any information to see what went on. Like there's just these weird things that don't happen so that you can get the story to where it needs to be. Um, everyone should know Lore the, being the evil twin, pretty much every line he has is a lie, which is a which yeah. is a really interesting thing to do. But it's the episode was was originally conceived as a female android to provide a love interest for Data, and her job would have been to go out and repair dangerous situations. Okay, yeah, that's boring. Yeah, and then Brent Spiner said, "What if I got to play two parts, and it was an evil twin situation?" So Brent Spiner actually pitched this idea. Um, it was not really mm-hmm. thought of as like it was going to be a winner. The script had a lot of problems and uh, Rob Bowman stepped up and said, I'm going to make something out of this. And you know what? He, uh, I realized recording a lot of our episodes lately, he's done, he's done a, uh, several of them where it seems like this shouldn't work. And it kind of does. And I think that's kind of the yeah. case here. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that makes you probably a pretty good screenwriter. If you can somehow make something nice out of complete nonsense. Yeah, and it doesn't feel very substantial. It feels like it's only six or seven scenes that are kind of long. No, and yeah, together. it's like very, it's like a very short story, like and a very short arc that ends pretty abruptly. Yeah, and then I mean, but it's like you have to have this episode. It feels like set up a lot of other things and like any of Data's backstory. Yeah, compared to the pilot, it certainly doesn't feel as rough it feels like they're on their oh, way God, to figuring no. some stuff out yeah no troy in also, this episode. the pilot two hours <laughs> yes exactly this oh, one that's is, true. Yeah. no troy in this one and we get we get a little bit of yar and and this is definitely an episode where i was i was like starting to see denise crosby's point of uh oh they're not going to give me anything yeah. to do huh <laughs> because uh, she doesn't really yeah. get much to do but uh let's give ourselves something to do and start grading this mm-hmm. summer what do you think all right, so let's start okay. with great scenes. Laura's on the bridge when he first gets to the bridge, and like I feel like the only person who really goes, "Hey, wait a second, is Worf," and Leno and everyone else is like, "Yeah, he seems great," <laughs> and that comes into play a little later. And also, just the Laura and Data scenes together, like in general, but like the ones earlier on when they're just kind of talking to each other about stuff. I should have elaborated more and I watched this one I was very, very tired. So I don't know exactly what I was referring to. Sorry, everyone. But lore poisoning data is a great scene for me. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, but it was like, like, you have to be like, okay, this guy's evil. Just in case everyone on the audience was wondering. And he's going to poison. He put poison in a champagne glass. Everyone needs mm-hmm. to know. That's how 1980s, that's how Evil Twin, that's, that's how, how soap opera it is. That is how you poison people in the 1980s. Now, the the paper-thin logic they used to set that up was in what I think was uh, a great scene, which is what you alluded to, Data and Lore speaking in Data's quarters after Lore's kind of come to the bridge and seen everybody, and then Data takes him off the bridge and they sit down and, and Data is just trying to talk to him. They're having a long, it's a long conversation, but it essentially winds up being about lore challenging Data to be more than just 
repeating human behavior that they, by mm-hmm. virtue of who they are, what they are, what Dr. Sung has actually given them with the positronic brain. Like Data didn't know that he had a positronic brain <laughs> until Lore points it out yeah. to him. <laughs> it's weird. But anyway, but he's basically saying like, we can contain the knowledge of the galaxy, not just what these human beings are telling you. And so he kind of challenges mm-hmm. them there. And then Data is very... It's an interesting scene the way it's being played because you do get the energy of Data's a child. You know, he's this is like the big brother trying to bully him. Uh, so it's a great it's Brent Spiner acting against himself. So that that was also cool, yeah, um, which is difficult. Yes. I like the scene where uh, they were putting lore together. It's a sequence. There's not really mm-hmm. much dialogue. We do find out at the end of it or in the middle of it that Data has it's where we learn about his off switch which gets used throughout the rest of the next generation. Uh, and only Dr. Crusher yeah. and Wesley knew about it. So, um, or in Riker and that's it. That's canonically the only three who know about it going forward. So that's interesting. I just realized that, um, but it's a, it's a coolly shot sequence and you get all the, you know, all the body parts. And I, you would think in HD, it might look a little chintzy and I thought it looked pretty good. It looked, it was lip Yeah. Lip. I put that in another, category of just like the like beep boop beep boop beep boop beep boop, beep boop. and they're just like putting them together it's very like star like space mountain and star tours like very tomorrowland yes yeah that's a great yeah i like that um do you have any other great scenes <laughs> yeah so when they're on the bridge like when wesley crusher is decide is like tipped off that this might not be data and he kind of mouths off and then Riker goes points at him goes you will show the proper respect ah, this is my fault captain I'll, I'll take responsibility and just like pointing to him like he was a bad dog <laughs> and i'm like hmm yeah okay like because it's like oh this teenager and this is back when picard still has not fully warmed up to wesley and it's very much like there's a kid on my bridge get him out of here yeah, that, so the kind of runner is Wesley's on to Lore when Lore swap, swaps identities with Data. Uh, I don't know why I'm recapping it for people, but just in case they haven't watched it, and they just want to kind of follow along a little bit. And and Wesley is uh, is trying to, you know, mind his P's and Q's and, and be impressive. And he's just pushing and he realizes that he's overstepping, but he has to do it because the ship's at risk. I like that tension. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of Wesley Crusher, the character. Yeah. Um, but it was a good dilemma, right? Uh, that that Boy it, it genius, sense. yeah. Yes. The last great scene I had was the final showdown in the cargo bay. Yeah, that's good. But I also really liked um, Lore being ju- just absolutely beating the snot out of Worf, like, immediately. Like, <laughs> no chance. I feel bad for Worf in this whole episode. Like, is he that much stronger than a Klingon that it would just be, like, incapacitate him after what it was, like, 15 seconds? And, yeah. and by the way, I don't think he ever shows up again. Like he's just stuck in a turbo lift somewhere unconscious, unconscious. from being beaten up. Like, I don't think he comes back in the last scene, does he? No, he does not. The final showdown in the cargo bay <laughs> is Dr. Crusher, Wesley Crusher and Data against Lore. <laughs> yeah. Which And then uh, Dr. Crusher gets set on fire. Yes, it's it's a joyfully it's a silly scene but it it's fun the episode kind of yeah. has a good energy throughout it um very arch 
but it, it moves like we said it's just a, a series of scenes several like people not throwing that many barrels scenes. at each other <laughs> throwing barrels yeah <laughs> empty barrels at each other yes clearly empty barrels at each other yes uh best trek tropes um picard is tempted to lead the away team to um data's home planet and riker objects because he actually says like i'm actually tempted to go on this one that is like i mean i think we're still in the show is still like this is not captain kirk in case you guys have not got the memo he doesn't go on the away missions and shoot at stuff he stays behind on the ship like a normal person would like a normal captain would so i liked it there but the away mission itself is very much like the something that you would see from the original series like with the sets and the scenery and just like them walking around and everything and exploring so i did like that though that was you know the away mission it's you're totally right the there was something when they beamed down to the actual planet uh, this was something that the criticism for the first season or two, they kind of ran into, or at least in the first season, a lot of the old hands who did the original series did join mm-hmm. on Next Generation. And they carried over okay. that season three cost cutting, where it's just like you have some fake dirt in the foreground and then like just plastic <laughs> gels in the background. And that's your sky. And they yeah. they knew right away that it didn't look good but they had to kind of transition away from that personnel before they could change it. Having said all that, when they actually go into the underground layer and there's sort of all these, it's a, it's a large space or the way it's shot, it's large looking and there's the hallways, the Mm -hmm. corridors, it all works. It it was nice. I'm sure they were using some uh, of the enterprise sets redressed and all that, but it definitely, it definitely gave you a sense of there's an underground complex here. So that was nice. Um, yeah like it's like viewing it now in 2022 it it's a nice bit of nostalgia but i guess if i were like a viewer at the time maybe i would have been like this is just recycled from the old one but um (laughs) like i like the i don't know i guess it's like kind of retro even though it's like a new show but um i i find it charming in this um instance but i'm sure if i saw it Every week, I'd probably be like, this is so cheap and chintzy looking, especially with like the Tomorrowland sequence of like building, like rebuilding lore. All right. You can be the judge of this. Is this a best Trek trope? Picard saying, make it so and lore not understanding what that meant. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then like Picard just being like, uh, do it. Uh, like, how would you not? Yeah, and then that was Understand the key to Picard realizing that Wesley's right. That Something's off is, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but make I it think, so. Yeah, I like, like make it so, but as a trope, but using it as a plot element, uh-huh. great, fantastic. So I don't know. It's up to you. Your yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. I'm gonna say yes. Um, I also put data doesn't use contractions as best. Oh, that's great. It's a and plot then, point here. Yes, yes, that's great. And I think he still uses one at the end anyway. He does. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't sure, like, are they, is that on purpose to be like, look, I have learned to be more human. That's um, a great question. Or was that just a flub? I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, it was so glaring, though, at the end. You're right. Like, I was like, hmm. Yep. Is this intentional or not? Um, because unintentional contractions for data happen I'll like sprinkle here and there, but I'm hoping <laughs> that this was 
uh, intentional given the context. I also that Lord just gave him a hard time about it. Yeah, possibly. This was also, I believe, the formalization of that rule. Like this is, it, you know, so prior oh, to okay. this, prior to this, it was it was loosey goosey. And, you know, they still haven't fig- figured the character out. Brent Spiner is playing data quite emotionally in this episode. Yeah. I caught him looking down for his marks a couple of times. But uh, <laughs> less important than the performance hadn't been anchored down. But it, it's great because it does seem like this episode pushes, starts to solidify it because having to make data one way in order for it to contrast lore really helped yeah. lock in certain elements of data. Like, Yeah, I feel like this episode really helps build the character Bible for data. Um, and for all those reasons. But I will also say about the contractions that that is considered um, like a speech milestone for children it, when they can use contractions appropriately in sentences. So I can, I don't think they, the writers knew that, but I can see how, if you are an evolving Android, how using contractions like a a normal speech could be considered you evolving, I guess. Hmm. I don't think that was intentional. (laughs) No, I just always assumed it was a programming, not error, but a programming choice. Mm -hmm. For some reason, because translating it or whatever it is, if he has to use different languages, it could serve as an issue. All right. Worst Trek tropes. Um, There's a first officer's log by Riker that's narrating something that hasn't happened yet on screen. That hasn't happened Um, on screen. Yes. Um, Now, again, I wish I had actually written down exactly what it was, but it was like first officer's log. Something blah blah blah, and it's about to happen. And like, why? How would you have time? And how would you know? Like the, so tense, the lazy like, log. Yes, it was. It was like one of those coming back from commercial. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> okay, you're a, a fortune teller now, apparently, and had time during this drama to do that. I think it was yeah during the away mission. Sorry, the away mission. I, I respect that you liked Worf getting smacked down in the turbolift, but I put that as a worst Trek trope because that is such mm-hmm. an easy thing to do is like, here's how evil or tough this thing is. Like Worf just gets the yeah. shit knocked out of him. Uh, so like, it, what, I find amusing. <laughs> <laughs> what I find amusing is not necessarily what I appreciate in an episode. Um, but yeah, I think as we go on this, journey of rewatching the next generation i'm gonna get more and more fed up with poor wharf just getting shot down or used in those ways but yeah i I agree with you it was it felt more like the the hand of the show uh you know forcing that and in a way diminishing him in the show's eyes or you know it couldn't you Mm -hmm. can't help it on paper that's what it's doing but I think for at least the audience, the people who especially love Worf, which I count myself among, which is a late realization, a late in yeah, life me realization. <laughs> but he's so brave. You know, he yeah. he doesn't back down and he, he understands the importance of it. He's always going to do his duty. Also, the way whenever they at least try to make it seem like when Worf hits somebody, it does damage. And uh, and you saw he gives lore all he can. And it's just, you know, it's not mm-hmm. enough. Um, but yeah, it's it's just always kind of a bummer. Um, and I think in this case, it was pretty shocking as a kid. I remember it was pretty shocking. And then 
I also think if they were doing this now, it would be a lot more gruesome. Not that he would necessarily die. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like we'd see a, a bone break or hear something really bad. It'd, it'd be rough. Yeah. Uh, theoretically, lore should be that strong. Uh, most of its time quality. I feel like we can just <laughs> spend the next 20 minutes going through this. I know. Yeah. Okay. I tried. To, I tried. I could have filled so much in. But I tried. I decided to stop at one point. First of all, the music cues. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness, the music cues. It's all from Space Mountain. It is all like, just the whole episode is just music cues that are just like weird, fake futuristic. Like someone's version of the future, but also the 80s. Um, yes. So it's all very synthesizer. Um, Heavily. Dun, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so beep, intense. Beep, beep. Yeah. Um, and then they find uh, the mannequin of lore when Data <laughs> holds up like the head, and that's as good as they could do back then of making a mannequin look like Data. But that is very of its time, like the fake, the fake head. Um, and I also have um, not oh, jeez, <laughs> chapter two. All right, so I already mentioned that they put yeah the part of the, the montage of them putting together lore just the sights and sounds like the beeping and the the buttons and the lights and everything and everyone just going around putting them together um but also the champagne flutes that are the delivery device for the poison have blue stems that is so fucking 80s i am almost certain my parents had that set <laughs> wine and champagne glasses with blue stems with blue yeah. glass stems Oh my gosh, so, so 80s. <laughs> I had the score mainly because it's just the synth is so overwhelming and it's, <laughs> they're not, and they're doing a theme. Like they're not just doing sound yeah. like tones. So they're trying to have an actual score. Most of the score. episodes, even from the first season, are not like that. Like it was noticeable. Right. And it's also very arch. Um, also, when they're doing the assembly scene for Data, did you catch that it, it, <laughs> It folds in the Ilea's theme from the motion picture. There's just like a couple oh, no. of uh, notes from it that get weaved in there. But like, it's so like the $6 million man stuff. Yes. yes. Like we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Uh, the lighting is, is I mean, pretty. I don't even like, I don't. Yeah, oh yeah. The lighting is like different from most of the other episodes and those scenes. The one thing that, like, that yeah. to watch for the first two seasons, because again, the people making the show in the first two seasons were very old, like vets in there, which is not criticism of age, but just it, they were making TV for the sixties and early seventies. They weren't making mm-hmm. TV for the mid to late eighties where, when the show was actually being made. So it, it was basically old techniques being used for modern times. And it, it was an incongruity. But do you ever notice in the back panels, the back science stations on the bridge, they have sometimes you'll they have like big black boxes taped onto them or something. It's because the lighting oh, no. setup, the lighting rig is so severe. It's either directly oh, reflecting it, and you can clearly glare. see the cameras, oh. yeah, or it's causing a glare. So that's why they like redesign the lighting scheme and that they use different lenses and camera approach starting in season three. But for literally like 22 episodes plus 26 for 48 episodes. They're just like, this is cool. Let's go with this. Yeah. And like the thing is, I don't even mind 
I mean, as a viewer today, I don't mind like the retro music cues. Like it's kind of fun, but I think at the time it would have been considered like very dated. Or if it's not dated, it's like, you know, it's just of this moment that the sound is just like, this is yeah. a sound of like this month. Not evergreen, I guess. That. Yes, exactly. Not evergreen. That's a good one. I don't um, know what the, I'm sure there's television terms and I'm just blanking on it. This is a most of its time quality, but it's kind of more of a positive. The, the, the crystalline entity is a VFX. Like it's a CGI yeah, creation. Yeah. And in the remastered version, which is what I, I was just watching the Blu-ray. So it's slightly redone, but done in the style of even the original. I can remember it as a kid watching it on VHS. It looked pretty good, but it looked very much yeah. like designed in a computer in the 1980s. Uh, oh, that is one of the that is a factoid. It was one of the first CGI graphics for television. It looks great. I did end up reading that when I was stuck in the San Francisco (laughs) airport for I don't know how many hours, five, something like that. Yeah, I yeah, I took up residence there for a short while, but uh, (laughs) it didn't yeah, it didn't look bad when I was watching. (laughs) Yeah, like I think it was good that they didn't shoot too far. Like they could have overshot that and it would have looked really, really bad. But I think it looks fine. Also, the sound effect they used to for the sound of the crystalline entity when it's speaking, that all that gibberish sounded very much like something you'd hear in the 80s. So, yeah, so, this episode sounded very 80s to say nothing of Dr. Yes. Crusher's hairstyle and collar and all. that. Oh, stuff. yeah. <laughs> uh, the line must be drawn here. Great lines. Um, can I just start here because this episode yes, is, please. It reverberates throughout the known universe in all time. This is the episode that has the line, shut up, Wesley. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So Wesley will not yeah. back down that, that that's lore, not data. So Picard finally realizing that, but thinking about what to do next is getting annoyed while Wesley speaks up again, he goes, shut up, Wesley. And then the, the perfect cut to Crusher sitting there going, shut up, Wesley. <laughs> Just her yeah. reaction. And then <laughs> Wesley and keeps then. going. And then she fires back <laughs> with the shut up, Wesley. <laughs> and I do like that also the behavioral trait of after his mom tells him to shut up, he keeps going. He's like, oh, it's yeah. just my mom. It's not the captain this time. <laughs> And then right after Picard orders her to take Wesley home and she's like, you're putting me off the bridge? <laughs> like shoots fucking daggers at him. <laughs> it's one of the it's uh, a, I think this is a good episode for Beverly being a mom. It's just not overdone. I think I think yeah. that's one of the things about Wesley and Beverly on the show is that all the all the mom son stuff could get. You know, it could just be annoying and it's it's usually not. And it's like, yeah. Well, and we discussed this in another episode that probably is not going to air until or be released till much after this. But yeah, like they don't dwell on her being the mom. So like her being asked to take him back to his room is out of like it's just deserving of that reaction. It's like, what do you what? Yeah. Like, I'm not just his mommy. Right. Exactly. I'm at work. Yeah. <laughs> So one line that I liked was between Picard and Data. And Picard says, well, you certainly operate as well as we do. And Data says, better in some ways, sir. And then Picard looks at him like, you son of a bitch. What do you mean by that? (laughs) 
like just really give him the, <laughs> give him the stink eye. And the we don't know what he means. No, there, he says in the pilot though too, right? Remember in the on the holodeck, he says, uh, "So you think you're Riker?" Asks him, "So oh, so you see yourself as superior to us?" And he goes, "In many ways, I am, but I would give it all up to be human or something like that." Yeah, but I, I like that they are off put. Remember television in the '80s, people were watching one of every four episodes. So if you miss the pilot, maybe you just need to be reminded that Data does see himself as superior. They get away from that. It would have been interesting if later on in the next generation, when they were out of ideas, if that idea returned and uh, and maybe went a little haywire. That might have been fun. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do that. The rest of my lines that I have are all lore. Do you have? Do you want to do some lore um, lines or? No, I okay. So at one point, Tasha Yar, my girl Tasha Yar, she <laughs> she actually brings up, "Hey, should we be giving Lore all this access to our stuff?" And then everyone looks at her. She's like, as as the security officer, I am compelled to ask, "Should we be doing this?" And then everyone looks at her like, "Get a load of this bitch trying to question." our beloved Data's brother, you know, and then Picard has to tell everyone that was a legitimate security question. Everyone like going, like looking around the room being like, okay, like from the lady security officer, let's cut her some slack here. And then though, her concerns don't really come up again. And it's only Wesley Crusher who decides actually this guy's evil. Right. <laughs> and also, the rest, I believe, are all lore. lore. <laughs> well, let's let's rope in the Tasha Yar lore here. Not lore as in lore the character, as in the back, the history with Data. She's f***ed him. So the fact... Has she? In uh, the second episode of the show, The Naked Now. Oh my God. When the crew all get drunk on polywater. Uh, which is a ripoff of the Naked Time from the original series. Uh, that's when we learn that Data is fully functional, and Yar comes mm-hmm. on to him. And you would not know uh, that they had any friend they, that they were even comrades in this episode. That there was any relationship between them. Yeah, I don't think she looks at Data. Maybe also maybe if you <laughs> if you go on the Wikipedia page for Data, it says he's fully functional, and then the fully functional part is. Um, a link and if you click on that it's just the link that explains sex organs <laughs> and i know that thank you thanks to my extremely long flight delay <laughs> i was gonna say you were at that airport for a long time <laughs> long long fucking time i yeah i had two meals in an airport oh my god how much bread was that <laughs> <laughs> well first one was fine the second one was just like french fries oh boy uh, I so lost track of the amount of alcoholic drinks I had too. What, what what do you start with? Do you start with a beer or do you start with wine? Yeah. Or do you go mix? Yeah. You start with wine? Okay. I start with a beer and then I think at some point I ordered like a vodka and cranberry juice. And then I still had like two hours left. And so oh. then I got like some wine. <laughs> Read about it was sex bad. organs. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, because I thought I would like redirect to something about Android technology, but it did not. (laughs) And you're shouting in an airport, right on, Lieutenant Commander Data. I was like, okay. But then I was like, oh, that must come into play. (laughs) 
and it had. I have a uh, lore promising to write a report on the crystalline entity for Picard to see, and he says, "I promise a report of great detail and accuracy." <laughs> Just the way it's delivered, but also that's such a yeah. Gene Roddenberry line. <laughs> it's like that's how anyone talks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I have lore so saying. I also have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's actually. And you want to be a. (laughs) Okay. And you want to be as stupid as them, dear brother. And then he kicks Data in the head. (laughs) After he's incapacitated him. Now this, this line from Data is a little too clever for him. I, I feel, but whatever. I liked it anyway. How sad, dear brother. You make me wish I were an only child. (laughs) I have that too. And now that I'm reading it, I'm like, that sounds a little bit like humor. And I mean, this is, this could have very well been Gene Roddenberry could have been on a bender and he had daytime TV on and he just, I don't know, all my, did all my children have an evil twin plot going? All my children back in the 80s, it was not the outlandish soap that had like all the doppelgangers and all that stuff. Days of Our Lives, on the other hand, and General Hospital had some of that, though. So, yes, it could have been on at that time, but I'm not totally certain when those story those stories started. But, like, all through the 70s and 80s, there was always a twin. Like, I think yeah. Another World had, twi- had evil twins, and I think, like, Guiding Light had evil twins. Um, so all of those shows he could have been watching. Okay, do you have the man-child line? Um... No, I do have, ah, motherhood. <laughs> so in that same scene, this is when they're confronting Lore. It's just Data, who's who's recovered from his being kicked in the head. And because he was found <laughs> by Dr. Crusher and Wesley. So they all go to the cargo bay to stop Lore from getting the Enterprise to lower the shield so the crystalline entity can attack it. And, um, and Data is the first to confront him, but like in the wings is Wesley. But he makes a noise or something, and and Lore notices him. He goes, "Then why this marvelous little gift, the troublesome little man child? Are you prepared for the kind of death you've earned, little man?" <laughs> I just couldn't believe that line. <laughs> he really wants to kill Wesley Crusher. <laughs> yes. Any other yeah. uh, great lines you have? No, that's it because I ran out of room on my paper, but I could have probably kept going, just like the. Most of it's time quality. I'm sure this would this episode is very much in the discussion for being campy. Yeah. And I think that's why it works. Uh, I think that's how they had to make this one work. Uh, but I okay, feel so, like it, like they're in on the joke, though. It's not even like. That's a great point. I think. Bad. You're right. So then that leads us into the Anton Critian Award for great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a pretty obvious answer here, but do you have. Do you go for it? Go oh for it. no, I put Brent Spiner because I feel like it's really difficult to play those um, on in like the one take nature yeah. of Star Trek and having to play against yourself when it's just actually some guy in a some stand in. Yeah, and who knows if who's delivering the lines in that case? If it's actually the stand in or if it's like yeah. some half asleep script person off camera who doesn't sound anything like you or is delivering the lines with any flavor, like literally. If you've never been on a yeah. set and someone's feeding you lines from off stage and you're like trying to get amped up and be in the in the moment and the lines you're getting back are like, that is not a fair assessment. Like they'll just say <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very monotone matter yeah. of fact. 
and they have to react off it. So, yeah, obviously, I think obviously it's Brent Spiner. And sometimes if you do have a scene partner, some will be nice enough to stick around to give you the lines, but some will not. <laughs> if they're not actually in the shot, some will just be like, mm, bye. The Shatner, I think, also goes to Brent Spiner. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> he has to go for it. <laughs> and he has to go he has for to it. to go for it. Yep. And I think he does it for both sides of the coin. I think even with Data, he's really going for it. Because he's playing um, a restrained version of lore. A not quite human, but trying to be human version. And he's not annoying as Data. I think he gets very close to being annoying as lore. But it, it works. That was my feeling on it. But yeah, it really goes for it. the The scene where Data is poisoned <laughs> with the champagne. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> because he has to go, brother. Yeah. What have you done to me? <laughs> and it's it's. Mm-hmm. Crazy. What part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? The crystal thing can destroy whole colonies, <laughs> and Soon was right about the positronic brain. Yes. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, One thing I want to point out about the crystalline entity is that when they go down to the underground bunker, they find kids drawings of the crystalline entity. And I have some issues with that. They're pretty well drawn, which I'm fine with. I'm fine with the quality of the drawings, by the way. And they're trying to it's clearly adults trying to do kid drawings. I'm concerned that the parents put them all up like they, they were like, that's great we're going to put this in our lap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I'm wondering, so there was an attack on the colony that caused them to go underground. The kids drew that experience and then, yeah. then they were still all killed anyway. Is that what? Yeah. I think we could have probably put that in most of its time quality. Cause that's like a very weird thing of like child psychology. That isn't really true. That children draw things that, may have been traumatic in their lives or something. And like the way that they're drawn in this case is like a little bit too cheerfully. <laughs> right. Because they're just like, trying to capture that. This is, these are kids drawings, but yes, then it's too joyful. I mean, they could have just been like, Oh, they left behind these photographs of it. Yes. Yeah. They're definitely teaching about the positronic net. Cause we'll find out in season two in measure of man that um, commander Maddox is very interested in stripping data down and, analyzing that brain how would captain kirk or the predecessor show in this case star trek the original series how would it resolve this conflict well he definitely would have gone on the away mission because they already tipped their hand on that one (laughs) um i don't know like but if it were like spock who's like my my brother is down here so cyborg like i guess yeah or something and like and then they're like, oh, we could trust him completely. I think he would have just been like, okay, sure. And then it would have been, well, see, I don't know if it would have been, it would have been Kirk and Spock fighting him at the end. Yeah. Well, yeah, probably, of course. Probably. Yes. Yeah. He would have been throwing the, Kirk would have been throwing the barrels of nothing. So this would have just been Star Trek five. Is what, is what <laughs> <laughs> there have been some punches in the mouth. Yeah, that's right. The the drop kick, the famous drop kick. But the same, yeah, same music cues and sets though. Apparently, <laughs> All right. So then, but I don't we, know like we... how how it would have gotten resolved. Like, would Captain Kirk have listened to someone like Wesley Crusher? 
Yeah, it's, it, the dynamics are all all wonky. Obviously, there's not a lot of one to one going on. And I guess where we are sort of stepping away from the idea that there's like a posing as Spock situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could be, you know, it could be any crew member. It could be Scotty. I guess, yeah. You know, Scotty's twin or something. Who do you think is the least credible crew member of the original series in Kirk's eyes, though? Because, like, Wesley Crusher is certainly the least, the least credible crew member in Picard's eyes because he's a kid. What a great so question. So if a kid, like, if a, un, like a not credible person to you says, hey, I think this guy is up to no good, um, but what he's, a- like, posing as a trusted crew member like data or Spock. That's a great question because I'm going to just float this idea here. It seemed like Kirk liked his crew. Like he was very committed both to their safety, but also maybe it's an extension of his megalomania or something where he's like, (laughs) I, you are all exactly where you need to be doing because you're the best like uh, at your position. So everyone is good at their jobs and where they need to be. But he always seemed, even the yeomans, he always seemed to treat everyone with sort of a base level of respect. Uh, it, but I, So I guess taking it from the line of someone stepping out of line to call attention to like, mm-hmm. chief, something's wrong with Spock or the chief engineer. I think he just wouldn't like the chain of command rupture. But to your question, who mm-hmm. could it possibly be who he would immediately go? I don't, I don't think it would be, honestly, we're not. Yeah, like one of like the minor like female characters or something. Uh, like, all right, all right, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Spock's been a doppelganger. Okay, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I right, mean, like, I don't know who else it would be. Yeah, I guess I was trying to think there's, um, what is it, Lieutenant Riley? The the guy who starts singing all the Irish songs um, oh, I <laughs> over the speakers when uh, I think that was The Naked Time maybe him so so anyone that's sort of like cartoonishly ethnically a stereotype maybe he uh, except for scotty mm. might uh not it's a great question though if it's spock though like a doppelganger has taken spock's place i feel like that's gonna be hard to convince somebody of right or at least convince kirk of i agree which is very funny that we mentioned that because that's kind of you know there's a body swap episode involving spock in strange new worlds and sort of their fix to that is no one's going to understand that they've swapped bodies because it's two Vulcans. So they just have to tell somebody it's mm. happened. Yeah. In this case though. So data makes like at least a two error or sorry, Laura makes like two errors that I noticed. And the one was the, when Captain Picard says, make it. So he's like, huh? Another time he calls Riker Riker. That is which correct, I don't think Riker. he did. Yeah. Like I don't, remember data just calling him that it was a nice little callback of him being superior because he he tells wesley right when he meets him and wesley answers a question he's like you're very clever wesley and he's like blowing smoke up their ass like he does it again there Mm -hmm. but with Riker. so it was a nice little touch there um yeah it's a great question yeah i don't know i think kirk may have like picked up on something like that if it were someone like mccoy or spock who like addressed somebody strangely like out of place like that if it's spock i feel like he kirk will figure it out right away or he'll be like what's Mm -hmm. the matter with you um Mm -hmm. but that would also be fun to see the episode where someone's pretending to be spock that would also be uh, would have been a fun thing to see uh which we kind of get now i'm thinking about we get um we kind of get that with i think it's return to tomorrow 
where they're they're they let the aliens possess their beings and so Leonard Nimoy actually gets to play Spock possessed by somebody else that's kind of in the same mm. the same thing but anyway all right Trek marry or kill data lore <laughs> um oh boy I think I'm just gonna be like fairly generous here and give it a trek because I feel like it sets up a lot of stuff that we need later on and in season one I think everyone thinks a lot of Star Trek fans most Star Trek fans probably dismiss season one of the next generation almost entirely and I think this is one of the better episodes of the season which isn't totally damning with faint praise it is like you said yeah. sets up a lot of stuff it's pretty well directed like, in, like in, but now that I think about it like it breezed by for me which is really saying something um so <laughs> yeah like I, I can't possibly kill this episode so no I think it's a trek as well so I, I and I, I again surprised that a season one episode would would get anything other than a kill but I think we're gonna find ourselves yeah I mean there's things there. that I I mean, I was entertained the whole time, I guess. I guess if that's the metric, then Trek for sure. <laughs> yeah, good start. Trek, Trek it like Tasha Yar after some drinks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, our Gene Roddenberry did not die as soon as he finished writing this episode. That wouldn't be for a few more years. But <laughs> interesting that this is his last credit all the same. There's that. And uh, we'll see what happens with lore in Star Trek Picard season three. And until... Oh, pumps now. Yeah, and don't forget to uh, like us uh, wherever you listen. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Write us a review if you have time. And uh, until next week, TMK out. Bye.